Welcome to Sebastopol City Limits, a podcast. We'll be talking to folks inside and outside the Sebastopol City Limits about local government, education, and culture. I'm Dale Doherty with the Sebastopol Times. Welcome to Sebastopol City Limits. I'm Dale Doherty, and I'm joined today by John Namkung, who's been involved in Ukrainian relief efforts. We're going to learn more about a fundraiser happening this month and other activities. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, give us a little background about who you are. Okay. I've lived in Sebastopol for 30 years. My career is mainly in the area of special education. I was a teacher and then I was an administrator in Santa Rosa City Schools and out of Sonoma County Office of Education, where I was administrator, directed special education programs uh, throughout the county. I retired in 2009. And since then, I've been involved in numerous volunteer activities, trying to keep busy. Tell us about this event that's coming up, when it is and... Why sure. people should go to it. So next Saturday on September the 24th, from 2 to 4 p.m., there's going to be a Ukrainian music and dance concert put on by a group from the Bay Area, numerous Ukrainian musicians and dancers and folk music and so on. It's a really good opportunity for people up here in the North Bay to experience Ukrainian arts and culture. They rarely get a chance to see that up here. We're doing a fundraiser for two things. One is the organization that's putting it on is um, raising funds to send to Ukraine for relief efforts. And then also I'm involved in sponsoring and supporting a Ukrainian family that came here to the United States on August the 11th. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more, but. I'll put some links in, below to information about how to get tickets and find out more about the event. Let's go back to earlier in the year. You made a trip to the Ukraine or to Poland, actually. Yeah. Uh, back in uh, the end of March, I decided to go to Poland, try and help the Ukrainian refugees and do what I can. Like many of your listeners, we all saw the images of the millions of mostly Ukrainian women and children escaping from the war going to other parts of Europe. And I was compelled to go there and do what I could to help the situation. And I'd actually gone to Northern Greece back in 2016 when the Syrian refugees were migrating to Western Europe. And so I had some experience of working with refugees. In 2019, I went back and helped at a refugee camp for a population of Yazidi refugees from Iraq. So when this happened, when the war broke out in Ukraine, I had some experience as far as going overseas and working in refugee camps. And so I just felt like I had to do something. I couldn't sit around and watch um, the suffering that was going on. So I went to Poland in March. Did you need permission to do this or did you just go? Or did no, you work with an no. organization? So I looked for an organization that I could hook up with once I got there. It's uh, 2016 when I went to Northern Greece. I just went on my own. And once I got there, I looked for a group to join, which is okay, but it's not the best way to use your time. So I found an organization here in the United States called Type of Wood Charities. It's a small nonprofit group in Idaho. What they were doing, they were transporting refugees at the border of Poland and Ukraine. 
and bring his families to other parts of Poland, mainly to Krakow, the city in Poland. And so I contacted them and asked if they need any volunteers, and they said yes. So with that, I bought my ticket and made my reservations and went there, and then hooked up with them once I got there. Talk about what you did, actually. I was at the border of the two countries. There were several refugee centers. As soon as the Ukrainians crossed the border into Poland, they were bused to these large refugee reception centers where they were processed and had a chance to rest and get some food and before moving on. What we would do is announce that we were available to transport. And so I would wait at the refugee reception center and we would announce that I had a car, I had a rental car, SUV, and there was room for four passengers and then wait for a family to come looking for a ride. And once that occurred, then I would take them in my car. It was about a three hour drive from the border to Krakow. My hotel was at the border, so that meant it was a six-hour round trip for me. Each day, I would take a family, and then I would have to drive back to my hotel. It was about 320 to 350 miles a day of driving. I particularly liked this experience because I got to know these families over a period of three hours and got to talk with them, either through a translator or if they spoke English. Mm -hmm. I really got to make a connection with them. As opposed to in previous experiences, I would maybe serve food in a food line, which was all very important, but you never get a chance to connect with people. So this was a really good experience. And they were particularly vulnerable. They've just crossed the border. They're getting a little help, but how do right. they know where to go? Some of them already knew they had friends or relatives in a certain country, but many of them didn't. They would end up in these refugee reception centers and just stay there for days or weeks so they could figure out a plan of where to go. And others just went randomly into Poland and Hungary for a place to stay. So yeah, they were very vulnerable once they crossed the border. The other issue that was very important was human trafficking when the war started, because these were mostly women and children, very few men could leave Ukraine. These human traffickers would come out in force and offer rides in a place to stay, et cetera. And unfortunately there were women and children who were, who were kidnapped and taken by human traffickers. So when you think of what they already went through with the trauma of war and leaving their home and family and, and then being preyed upon. That was a major issue, major concern. And fortunately, the Polish government where I was took this seriously and they put into place controls where if a driver wanted to take someone, if I wanted to take a family, I'd have to give them my passport and my uh, driver's license of the car, et cetera. When we left the reception center, the police would check that information to make sure there's the right number of people there and who's in the car, et cetera. So that helped alleviate some of the concerns, not totally, of course, but yeah, things were very difficult, I think, for these families once they crossed the border. I'm sure they were very elated and grateful that they were safe, that they were out of harm's way, but at the same time, if you can imagine not knowing where you're going and how are you going to get there and all these other fears. And... I've had the opportunity to talk to some Ukrainians, mm -hmm. refugees, and they didn't know how long they would be out of 
their country. Whether this would be quick or as it's turned out, it's taken months. I think we just passed a couple hundred days in this war. Yeah, exactly. That was one issue. And then later on, after I came back to the States, the flow of refugees leaving Poland into other countries slowed down considerably because certain parts of the country were liberated and no longer in danger. And most of the fighting is occurring in the East and in the South. So other parts of like Kiev, the capital and Lviv and some of these other cities currently are relatively safe. And so a, a number of refugees have returned to Ukraine because of the situation. In fact, I think there are probably more people returning than leaving now. So yeah, it all depends on the situation with the war. Now you met this family that you were working with, they were one of the groups that you transported from the border. They were the second family that I met, and I was particularly struck by the fact that there were three generations of females. There was a grandmother, a mother, and two daughters. And I'd like to kid around and say that they had a dog, and the dog was also female. So very brave, courageous, strong females to do what they're doing. And so I met them at the border and I transported them to, to Krakow. As I said goodbye to them, they're going to Germany the next day. I said, keep in touch. Let me know if you make it to Germany, okay, et cetera. And so the mother, Irina, gave me her Facebook identification, the Facebook messenger name, and I just took it down and not knowing if I will ever see them, actually thinking that I'd never see them again. All the other families that I transferred over those two weeks, I never got their contact information. So when I returned to the States, President Biden started this program called Uniting for Ukraine, which allowed 100,000 Ukrainians to come to the United States for up to two years, as long as they're sponsored by an American, someone in the United States. So I decided to do that because I wanted to keep helping in some way the Ukrainians. In the application for this Uniting for Ukraine, you have to specify the name of a Ukrainian. You can't just say, I want to be a sponsor. So the only people that I knew were Irina and her family because I had the contact information. So I texted her and asked, would you be interested in coming to the United States? And they were actually on their way to Canada, but she decided to come to the United States. I think partly because she she knew me, she had met me, and I think had a certain level of trust. Uh, initially, I think she said she was a little nervous because she don't met me once, and, but she felt that I could be trusted. And so she said, yes, and then that started the whole paperwork process. Right. So you had to fill out forms for humanitarian parole. That's right. Yes. It actually happened fairly quickly, though. I was actually shocked knowing something about government bureaucracy. And I know other refugee groups have had just a long wait, a year or more to be vetted to come to the United States. So I submitted my application to be a sponsor and was approved within three days, which I just felt that was amazing. And then they had to submit their application from their end, identifying me as a sponsor. And it took them two days to be approved. So the whole process in terms of the paperwork happened over a period of five days. There were a lot of other delays that had nothing to do with the paperwork, but before they could actually arrive here. But as far as the sponsoring part of it, it was relatively quick and smooth. 
And I know there might be some listeners out there who are maybe interested in becoming a sponsor. And I said, people contact me and I'm happy to give advice and suggestions if anyone's interested on how to do this quickly and efficiently. Once you did that paperwork, then you had to schedule their arrival in the United States or plan that process. And, and the thing that took a long time, like three months or so, part of it was I had to raise enough funds to sponsor and support this family for up to two years. Living in Sonoma County is not inexpensive. Housing, et cetera, is very expensive. <clears throat> so I started a group of my neighbors here who were in part of Sebastopol off Lone Pine Road. We called ourselves the Lone Pine Ukrainian Family Aid Group. Just a handful of people decided we're going to raise funds. We're going to support this family. And gradually this group expanded beyond our Lone Pine area. Other friends and neighbors and pretty soon and through email groups and GoFundMe groups, we probably had 125, 150 people respond with either donations or offers of housing, transportation, food, furniture, you name it. People just came out of the woodwork. And so we had made a goal that we're not going to bring family over until we'd raised a certain amount of initial funds, which is about $50,000. So we didn't want to just bring them over and then figure out how to support them. So th that took a while, numerous fundraisers and pleas for donations, et cetera, until we got to that point where we could safely, confidently say to them, okay, we're ready to buy your airplane tickets and have you come over. When you say sponsor a family, it's really a fiscal sponsorship, right? It is. I feel responsible for them. But on the other hand, we're close to meeting our goal of of having enough money for them for up to two years to support them. They're also eligible for government benefits. In California, they call works, which is cash assistance for families who have children, and also CalFresh, which is also known as food stamps. Fortunately, under this United for Ukraine program, they're eligible for benefits, just like anyone else. And so that's helping a lot as far as funding their living expenses, and then we're raising funds for all the other incidental stuff. To help but you found a home for them. Yeah. One of the members of our group, his brother had to go into a memory care facility due to Alzheimer's. And so all of a sudden there was this home in Roner Park that was available, fully furnished, furniture, linens, towels, all the kitchen appliances, utensils. So we were really very fortunate that we didn't have to go looking out for furniture and all the other things right. already came with the house in its three bedrooms, two baths, 2000 square feet in a very nice neighborhood. We're paying way below market rate rentals for this house. And so that was a major obstacle that we were able to overcome pretty quickly. So we knew that we had a house available for them. They arrived August 11th. Yes. But they were missing an important family member, weren't they? Yeah, the, far on the dog. What happened was we purchased tickets for them to fly out of Dublin, Ireland. And the reason we had them go from Germany to Ireland was because the United States has a U.S. Customs and Border Protection office there right at the airport. So in, in a sense, you go through the customs before you get on the plane, as opposed to normally you go through customs when you land. 
And the mother-in-law, the grandmother, didn't have an international passport. She had a domestic like an identification passport. And so we were very concerned whether she would be allowed to enter the United States. And I had received some assurances from customs that if you go through Dublin, uh, Ireland, they will let people through there. And that way, we know that once they're past the customs in Ireland, they're home free, as opposed to flying into San Francisco, not knowing whether you're going to be allowed. So anyway, we had purchased tickets for them to go through Ireland. And about a week or two before they left, I checked with the airlines and to my surprise, found out that dogs were not allowed into Ireland because there was some issue with rabies. And Ireland was not allowing dogs into the country. So we were stuck with $5,000 airplane tickets that we couldn't change or cancel without huge penalties. So we came up with a novel idea of sending my wife to Frankfurt to Germany to get the dog and for her to bring the dog back. She didn't have any issues with passport and customs. So she went over there and met the family. Unfortunately, the family missed their first flight due to customs people in Frankfurt. So they had to stay four days extra in Frankfurt because that was the earliest they could get on another flight to come to the U.S. And that turned out to be a blessing in disguise because my wife got to bond with a dog and bond with a family. I won't go into the whole story. It took them three to four times on, to get out of Europe into the United States. In the meantime, my wife brought the dog back first. And the dog got to the United States before the family. And the dog was able to come to the airport to meet the family when they arrived at San Francisco. <laughs> so that was the whole story in and of itself of trying to get the dogs here. But of course, the dog is very important to them. They were not about to leave the dog behind. So they'd been here about a month. How are they doing? How's the family doing? They've adjusted really well. Thanks to so many people, Dale, I can't tell you how many people have just come out and just offered to help in so many ways, whether it's transporting children to school. One woman actually donated a car, which we took possession of yesterday. Another person, you probably know Kate from uh, K-Tech Automotive in Repair in Sebastopol has agreed to provide free maintenance on the car. Just things like that. And people have donated bicycles so the kids can ride to school, etc. So the adjustment has been pretty smooth thanks to all these people that have come forward to help. Very much a community effort. I couldn't have done it. My wife and I couldn't have done it on our own. No way. So it is definitely total community effort. Saturday, you have this event in Roner Park at yeah. one of the schools there, yeah. and it's music and a celebration of Ukrainian heritage, and yeah. it and is also a fundraiser. It's Saturday, 24, 2 to 4 o'clock, Lawrence Jones Middle School, which happens to be the middle school that the older daughter goes to school at. I'm a bit concerned right now because advanced sales for the tickets are very low. It's probably in the 30s right now. Theater seats 200, so we're trying to get as many people there to show up to support not only the family and the relief efforts, but to be exposed to Ukrainian culture and music and so on, right. which would right. be very important. 
There's actually something else in October you have yeah. coming up too, isn't it? I'll just mention that in passing, we have a golf tournament, the Foxtail Golf Club in Roner Park. This is a total fundraiser to help support this family. We're going to have a, a silent auction and a live auction and a dinner for people who don't play golf or want to play golf, they could come to the dinner and the auction. We've got fantastic auction items. For example, my brother donated 40 helmets that have been signed by Joe Montana and Dwight Clark, that Dwight Clark inscribed the catch, which is the famous play that started the 49ers dynasty. So those two helmets, which are authentic uh, helmets are available as an auction item for people who might be interested in collecting those kinds of things. Joan Baez has donated a painting, a print of President Zelensky. So there are things like that that people are interested in auctions, come out and support the family. Thank you very much. At any of these events, they'll meet you. If anyone wants to find other ways to get involved, they can learn that. John, thank you for what you and your wife are doing and the whole Lone Pine area and beyond that of organizing yeah. this relief program. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.